Welcome to Raising Up Cops, the podcast about raising Coptic kids in Western culture. I'm Laura, here with my lovely co-host, Madonna. Hello, everyone. Um, we have quite an interesting topic for you today. As always, we sign off all of our episodes asking if anybody has any feedback or comments or requests that they email. And we did get an email that I thought was worthy of sharing and listening to you know what Laura has to say and maybe get feedback from you guys about what you think. Um, so, Laura, in, in the short of this, I'm not going to read the whole email because it does give some identifying information, but um, here's the question in the email, okay? If we raised a family of prayer warriors and God-fearing children who love and serve the Lord because of the assistance of other non-Coptic churches, but still keeping the Orthodox faith in the house, why are we still told that this is wrong or unacceptable? It's a loaded question. It's definitely a loaded question. And I'm going to go ahead and preface and say that we don't necessarily have the right answer on this. Right, Laura? The answers to this question often come very differently depending on where the person is standing. How do I phrase this? For example, when there is a very active church community, local church community, like let's say back in Egypt, okay? In Cairo, there are many, many churches with many like styles, and they have so many services. Mm -hmm. So for someone to leave an existing service in a church and go to a parallel service at another church, that is a completely different story in my mind to someone who has no church at all or has to travel very far to get to a church. And this church has no services for these particular things that we're, whatever we're going to bring up. Right. And then that person goes to that Protestant church or that Catholic church to kind of fill in the gaps. Is that jumping too deep? <laughs> no, it's not jumping too deep, but I just want to clarify something from the get go. So in this situation, we're talking about someone having a church and then their children or their family still goes to non-Coptic churches around them for their extra activities and their services. It's what knowing, it sounds like. Knowing what I know about this person, I'm not sure that's the case. Okay. The reason so, I'm saying that is, again, like churches come in so many different shapes and sizes and distances. For example, the church I grew up in was two hours away mm -hmm. and certainly had no kind of like daycare option even if they did there's no way my mother could drop kids off at daycare there mm -hmm. so she attended mothers of preschoolers at a local protestant church which does tend to have like a religious factor in it yes can you say no mom shouldn't have gone to mothers preschoolers because this was at a protestant church and they were doing some bible something now and then and therefore like that was wrong i, th I think that's different from we have a preschool whole preschool a church and I go somewhere else on purpose. Okay. I don't know. I, See, there's so much to unpack. Yes, this is definitely, th this is a very complicated topic because it really does depend on the person and their background and their family and their, all of the things, right? So I will tell you that when I was growing up, we, our church was only 45 minutes away, not nearly as far, but we did not have a priest. So we only had church once a month when any other visiting priest could come and um, 
like give us liturgy basically, right? And so what we would do is we attended the local Methodist church at the time. And I would go to their Sunday school and I would be in their plays. And I remember even <laughs> being a part of their confirmation ceremony when I was like 10 years old or something. And no, I couldn't have been 10. Anyways, I had their little confirmation. Story, and the first Bible I ever got was engraved in gold with my name from there. That's the, that's what I have. And that was the, how we got our church during the other weeks. And to me, that was like a must, right? So my parents had to make a choice, either no church at all because there was no Coptic church or supplement with whatever, like, just to get in the habit of going to church. So I feel like that made sense. And likewise, come full circle, my husband and I, when we first got married, we were stationed in Georgia, not in Atlanta, where there was a Coptic church, but two hours south of there, where there was no church. We had two very young children. And even though we could have driven up every single weekend with our two, like with our toddler and newborn, it got very complicated. And so we started attending a non-denominational church nearby to fill in the gaps, as we said again. Um, and here's the thing. I... I remember feeling worried that this was my kid's first true exposure to regular church was a non-denominational church. Okay. But at that age, everybody gets the same lesson. <laughs> like at that age, everybody gets the same lesson that God is love and Jesus came to die for your sins and, you know, these kinds of things. So I didn't feel as worried when they would go to the kids' church school and whatever. The more that I attended with them, the more that I realized they kind of just they preach what we all agree to. Now, if they were older, I'm not sure. So I have the exact same story in that when we were young, very young, there was no Coptic church. The nearest Coptic church was two hours away. My parents had three young children and they could not make it to church two hours away every single week. But it was important for them to establish that weekly Sunday attendance. So we attended a Mennonite church for a while. And just like you were saying, I got to a certain age where I began to understand more than Jonah, Noah, Daniel. You know, I began to understand a little bit more than basic Bible stories. And there was one time that there was a speaker that came and he was representing Menon, the founder of the Mennonite denomination. And basically he, he was a young man and he was trying to be vibrant and trying to be engaging. So his way of doing that was to attack, um, you know, orthodoxy, but in he, in his case, really Catholicism. So saying like infant baptism, what a load of crock, like uh, just all kinds of kind of those kind of commentaries, the criticisms that the Protestant church tends to have. And I was 12 at the time and I was very angry <laughs> I was like, excuse me, you're talking yeah. about me. <laughs> yeah, that is really tough. Um, but he didn't know. I mean, I'm sure maybe he saw it in my eyes because at the end he gave like a little apology. I'm sure he saw my demeanor change. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like, yeah, there you get to a certain age and the differences become very stark. And the idea that they are, that that there are no differences is kind of like a lie we tell ourselves. <laughs> there you know, are definitely another, differences. There's another there's another factor at play here that I think is important to talk about. 15, 20 years ago, 
everyone kind of followed the same social standards, I think. Okay, everyone kind of, for the most part, agreed at a basic level about societal norms. Nowadays, that is not the case. Okay, and so what ends up happening is even if our kids were attending these non-Coptic services, which I understand the need and I am not against it. I want to say that I don't I cannot make a blanket against it statement. However, in this time that we're in now, I feel like there would be a lot more confusion and possibly confusing messages depending on the type of church that you're going to. Um, there's oh, especially non-denominational churches and even among the other Protestant churches, there is such a wide range of beliefs and viewpoints about things that go on right now that you have no idea what you're going to get. So I feel like there would have to be a much stronger vetting process before I could even engage in a school or a, I'm sorry, in a, in a church um, of that nature. I don't know. Yes. The other thing is we do have, um, I have a couple of friends who their kids attend the Protestant youth group because they have, they're involved with the Christian group at their school and all of their friends go on Wednesday night to a youth group. And we don't have like a midweek youth group like that, or, or we're still building up to that. So they send their kids there and they know that I have like very mixed feelings about it, but the saving grace for these kids is that their families at home are very good at differentiating and explaining the differences. So they, they have someone to go to with these nagging questions of why do they do this, but we do this. They have someone who gives a very clear theological answer um to explain the difference i think i even shared this before that i went to my friends and i my parents let me my parents let me explore other churches they i had lots of friends at school that they would go to church at the foundationally they were all christian for the most part Um, not everyone but anyways when i would get invited to one of their youth groups i remember them at one point talking about how it was wrong quote-unquote that we had a cross with jesus still on it because he had resurrected and he he was not on the cross any longer why do we even do that right they didn't know i was in the crowd so i'm just taking this information in and i remember thinking to myself like wait a second that actually makes sense why do we keep jesus on the cross and it kind of like stirred some doubt it stirred some seeds of like why do we do things the way that we do And I came home and I was like, you know, dad, they had a really interesting conversation. And here's what they said. And my dad was able to sit there and talk to me and explain to me, you know, and just it. And and even after that, he didn't stop me from going more, you know, but you, you mentioned the very important part is that first of all, we had built a relationship where I was able to tell my parents about that kind of stuff and they would talk to me about it. And second of all, this was part of my growing closer to Christ's journey is that I was able to question freely, but then I had secure answers. And this is where it gets a little complicated too, Laura, because I don't feel like that we need to be in an echo chamber where our kids only need to be with people that believe like us and talk like us and think like us, because that is, in my opinion, also a recipe for disaster. I think that there is so much value in 
learning and being with people who don't think and believe like we do. And they should not be shielded and sheltered from people who think separately. So that's why I say it's complicated and it matters the family life and it matters what foundation are they coming back to after being exposed and within these other environments. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you reminded me of something that has to do with the kids schooling. So my kids attend a Catholic school. Um, We have friends that attend a Protestant school, the friends. So, and they all the time, naturally, the kids are comparing the services they go to here to here, like, like letter for letter, they're comparing. And I've heard some unusual comparisons for my from my kids and from these other kids you would think that they would go to these services and they would be like oh but our service is so boring oh our service is so long but actually I'm hearing the opposite you know my daughter is telling me the catholic service is very boring there's very little room to respond I'm like wait I thought they were more responsive than us but in her eyes no she's like it goes by so fast and they rush everything like they actually see the value of what we do and they're it is ingraining them in our church. Or for example, at the Protestant church, they feel like, oh my gosh, what is this rock concert going on? Like it's so noisy and everybody's being so fake and my friends are being so fake. Let me come back to my church. Um, Okay. So that's actually really interesting, Laura, because let me drop a bomb here. There actually was a period of time where I was preferring the Protestant services. There was a period of time that I was, Like, why can't we just have church for like 45 minutes and have songs that are like lively and they, 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 in, I don't know, they invoke so much emotion and they are so like, and everyone's so open. And like, to me, that was like, I like the kumbaya, like style, you know? Um, And I felt like I missed that at our church. And so I was preferring the Protestant services very much. It took me a really long time and this is interesting because some churches in, and I'm talking about the Coptic church and maybe I'm towing a line here. There's some Coptic churches that are so traditional and legalistic that it kind of feels like it's missing the spirit. Like it's not missing the spirit. Okay. This is going to sound like such blasphemy. Uh, what I mean is like, it's missing, like, like, um, I don't know how to say it in English without being like, Whoa. like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, the Holy um, spirit needs to be more active. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, like where's the emotion? Where's the like the the true connection that you feel to God, the spiritual relationships that you're building? Sometimes you don't feel that. And so it wasn't until I moved to Virginia that I started feeling like, wait, these things go hand in hand. I get the best of both worlds in this Orthodox church, okay? It's not that it's not that it doesn't exist, it's that they were still practicing how to get there. So the and I felt and I started learning the Protestant church is really missing a lot of really important details. And then the Coptic church was missing a little bit of that like personal relationship that I was really, really wanting. And so it I really needed to have, you know, God be active and present in my life. I didn't want to have God as just some uh set of rules that I followed and And I remember growing up in the Coptic church feeling like that. And so it took a really long time for me to finally realize that um, that was kind of a character flaw in me. I wasn't doing enough to invest in my personal relationship. And our church, perhaps in some ways, was not filling in the gaps in some regards. 
and it, it's something like and again the church in america is new the coptic church in america is new so they're still learning how to mesh the culture and the religion not the religion well yeah i mean the religion and the culture together um we're still working on it but it's not as separate as it used to be or feel it would feel i should say your church right now (laughs) yes because yes other churches where they're still on step a there's yes exactly the first step of the board game there and i think like one of the ways that i see this or i notice this is if the congregation is responding you know i feel like when we were in the smaller church the congregation really responded a lot with the deacons but now that we've gotten bigger, there are a lot of new people. People are a little bit shy and hesitant to do, say the responses. And so there isn't that same unity of like voice that there used to be. And so I feel like the congregation's investment in the service is what makes it like we're all putting on the liturgy. And if we're not all praying the liturgy together, that completely changes the vibe of the space. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that the more that we all invest in in like the kids learning the traditions and learning the hymns and they become participants rather than just um, observers, you get a much more lively church. And that's the goal that we have for our kids. Yeah, one of the other things that I'm running into is, you know, I was talking to my daughter and she was saying like, the kids were being confirmed at her church. It's eighth grade. And so it's confirmation in the Catholic church. And so the, sorry, at her school, all of her friends are being confirmed, but they're all resistant to the confirmation. And I think this, they're all like doing it reluctantly. And I think seeing that helps me consider how we, how our church approaches things differently, but also this idea that you were saying earlier about how good it is for kids to get outside and interact with different faiths and different people because when i when they're a little bit too singular i feel like when everything is in the church every single thing that they do is in the church then the person that they rebel against or the institution that they rebel against has to be the church because that's all they know so when they get to that rebellious age that's what they that's what they have to, to attack and criticize and tear apart but if they're seeing everything if you allow them to look at the whole picture and you allow them to make judgment calls with your guidance you'll find that they are more able to process things and make the correct decision in the long run, you know? And I think that takes a lot of trust, like from us, we have to trust God and trust the process and keep that open, vulnerable heart when speaking to our kids. Yeah, because the truth is, Laura, and I just was talking to my friends about this and really important topic, like right now, even going to the library is a battlefield. Right now, even taking your kids to the library, there are so many books on display that say a lot of things that are so clearly against our beliefs. And that is going to happen no matter if you are attending a Protestant church or if you are attending a Coptic church. So in the end, if you are not having open communication with your kids and not understanding and teaching them what is going on in the world around them, no matter where they are, they're going to get exposed to things you're not happy with, right? They're going to get exposed to things that are not okay for you. And you're, and if they're not equipped by you, because let's be honest, like no matter what church, church is only at max five hours a week, like at max, like I'm talking about like maximum. If you're going to Wednesday night, something and Saturday night, something and 
Sunday morning something. So it is really on us to fill in the gaps. Yes. The real gaps. Yes. I saw a very scary um, visual of how many hours you get with your kids versus how many hours the church gets with your kids. And let me tell you, it is not a joke. Like, do not wait for your church to teach your kids. Again, you saw for Madonna and in my family, our parents did what they could to make sure that we ended up in the faith. And that included allowing us to question and doubt and all of those things and respecting us as whole human beings, all of that beauty, right? But that came from the family. That did not come from the church. There was barely a church, right? And so that's something we really got to, we all need to be working on. Yes. And it's so important to remember that like you need also a relationship with your priest because this person is saying, I'm being told it's wrong. It's unacceptable. I wonder if there is a specific reason that they're being told that I don't know the situation thoroughly. So I don't know. But like, if my priest knows me very, very well, I am going to him regularly for confession. He knows my family life. And if he heard that I was starting to go back and forth to services at a Protestant church or whatever, I'm not sure he would be that concerned necessarily, or maybe he would, I don't know. But I think that there is merit to knowing yourself knowing your family life and knowing your church and then making these decisions about where your kids go and don't go and things like that. Because at the same time, Laura, in my church that I grew up in and all the people that I was with, the people that did not, the people that did like we did and went to other churches while we didn't have liturgies, most of them did not come back. I'm being honest. Most of them did not come back to the Coptic church. They were a generation older than me, those kids, and every single one of them got married outside the church, do not attend Coptic churches, do not live by the faith, even though their parents are incredibly, incredibly active members of the church, like foundational members, and worked very hard to make sure that the rest of us did not do that, did not leave permanently. So it's interesting to see that sh- I, I don't know what to call it it's not it was not an exodus because not everybody left but it was just interesting to see the circumstances that led them to that point and the circumstances that led us to where we are well i think i think i can put my finger on part of that which is that it is the difference between a church that's willing to grow and adapt and add those services that people need or being very very narrow-minded about what's needed and the scope of what's needed and just insisting on doing like the bare minimum so if those kids had seen their church add the things that they need and seen it fill the need that they have maybe they would have come back but maybe Mm. what they saw or the impression that they got was of a kind of rigidness that did not allow for um for a place to come back to so i think that we as the church you know, this is our lesson, you know, we have a lesson as parents, but we also have a lesson as the church to think about what are the services that are lacking that need to be added? What are the ways that we can engage people better? Um, and we're not talking about touching liturgy or playing with official services or rituals or sacraments or anything like that. We're talking about all the other needs that people have. You know, we, we always talk about how Christ fed the 5,000, right? He he did deal with their physical needs and dealing with their physical needs and then moving on and also helping them reach their spiritual needs. I think that's very, very important. 
And you know what's very interesting, Laura, is I was just reading um, a friend of mine just published a thesis and the book is out now on Amazon. And I I have not read it. I don't know what's in it. All I can tell you is what the back of the book says. And basically it was talking about how a lot of churches now measure their success by attendance numbers. They measure their success by attendance numbers. And they were saying like, unless Christians live a sacramental life and the aim of that Christian life is to have a union with God, then even these numbers of these activities and attendance and things like that are not going to matter in the end. So in the end, whether you are in a Coptic church or a Protestant church or whatever kind of church, if you are not aiming to be in union with God, then you and your family are lost. It doesn't matter. And I'm not saying then that that means that there's many truths or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that there's obviously one absolute truth with God. And that is that he wants you to abide in him and he, and you, and he, he and you like, that's just it. Yes. Right. If you're not pursuing Christ, (laughs) if you're pursuing something else, and maybe that is like a fun activity outside, you know, whether you're, you're coming to the church for the wrong reason or leaving the church for the wrong reason. If Christ is not your aim and something else is, then you're, then as Madonna said, I mean, what's the point? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you're not, if you're not looking for God, what's the point? So obviously Laura and I cannot make this decision for you. Cannot answer this question thoroughly because it's so dependent on person. It's very subjective. Um, That being said, we want to encourage you to invest in your spiritual life in the home more than anything else. Because at the end, your kids are getting equipped with whatever's happening in the house more than wherever they're attending church. The attending church is, to me, the um, the execution of your faith. It's like the, not execution as in the death of it. It's like how you are manifesting your faith. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I didn't want to make that sound like I'm saying no to that. <laughs> because I felt like execution now sounds like the death of your faith. No, I mean like it's it's how you You're are executing. showing your faith. You're making it happen. You're making it happen exactly. So um we know it's not easy. We know that right now everyone's on different playing fields and there's so many things happening in the world that we're fighting against. We're we're an uphill battle for sure. But um just really look inwardly and decide why are why are we doing this and is this right for our family and what are the long-term consequences either good or bad of doing these things and i think that's all we can do in the end it's all in god's hands yes he will be our judge in the end for sure and with that we welcome you to uh email us at raisingupcops at gmail.com and we thank you for joining us and we hope to see you next time Raising Up Cops is a production of Coptic Dad and Mom. This podcast is hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lawindi. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Orthodox Church or its hierarchy. These are our personal opinions, collected experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, you can reach us at raisingupcops at gmail.com.